When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Starting a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram. And some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler. Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Matt Moore of the Action Network, and we are doing another Tears podcast, but this one Matt chose different criteria, which I really enjoyed. I thought it led to a great conversation. That's the most interesting teams in the NBA, and so we talk about the teams we're still trying to figure out, some of our disagreements, some of the teams that, that each of us has done some real digging on. So I thought it was a great conversation, runs well over an hour. I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I always love doing these. I typically give the baton to you in terms of choosing the criteria, and this is a very different one, and one that I was I was happy to do it was a thought experiment that I haven't worked on in a while. Yeah, so we always we we effectively in these tiers we're trying to kind of separate out teams and do uh you know basic brackets of power essentially whether it's we've done you know title contention or best equipped for the regular season or this that and the other we've done all those and and we very rarely have done subjective ones and I thought it'd be interesting to do one that we're probably going to have wildly uh, wildly sorry different ideas on and that was most interesting you know there's always the list coming out every year Uh, Zach Lowe does this about the most interesting teams in the league coming in but now you know we're a month in and we have some data and we have some, you know, we've watched these teams and we've seen them break convention and reinforce convention and all these types of ideas and reinforce priors and those kinds of things. And some of them are, are much different than we thought they'd be. So that'd be interesting just to look at, you know, not only from a just from a big picture standpoint, what are the most interesting teams in the league? It is a challenging in some ways concept and also one that I enjoyed. And I will I will tell everybody, including Matt now, that the way I interpreted this in interesting was how much I think about these teams and how much I think about things related to them. And so that throws in a lot of different elements. So that can be who's intriguing to me the most on the floor, who is what teams are kind of like important, you know, are going to eventually affect the title picture or the arc of the league or anything like that. 
And then also who has changed things up, who is, and and for me, the biggest thing, and you and I, you know this, because you and I have talked about for such a long time, one of the elements that drives this conversation for me is who is defying my expectations? What do I still need to figure out? Who, what, what is still confusing me? Because those are the teams I spend the most time thinking about, because it's just like, well, what the hell is going on? And there are definitely more than a few of those still, you know, we're not halfway through the season, but we're about a third, I think. It's, there's still a lot of teams in that boat. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great way to put it, right? Like, how often do you, do you think about them? Like, the teams in my top tier, I've thought a lot about in terms of, okay, you know, what does this say? Like, are they what I thought they were? Are they, are they who, a lot of it's like, are they who I think they are? Like, what if they're not who I think they are? What if they really are this other thing? Um, And how much of it, for me, it really is like the delta between expectation and even on like on a current basis, right? So you think like the current conditions of the season or how they performed, like how different are they structurally to watch um, analytically, all these type of things from what the expectation I would have for them based off of where we're at in the season is. And there's a, a few that are really fascinating and there's some that, Really, I'm just kind of like, no, I get it. This, this I get. This, this one I get. Right. And so my first group here, I called it surprising and important. And so what I mean by that is teams that have defied my expectations and where I think that defying is significant for themselves, for the league or something else. So, and I had four teams here and they're very different in no strong order, but in a loose particular order, the Cleveland Cavaliers, yep. the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Chicago Bulls. Interesting. Interesting. I have two. I have a top tier of three. Okay. And I have two of your top three. Um, I guess like the, the, the interesting thing here is we both have like Cavaliers was the first name on my list too. Yes. Because we have to like start there in terms of um, how are they this good? What did we miss about their growth or potential? Um, is it sustainable? Is it the, the, the following question? And then I'm even willing to go in on, is it sustainable? I'm willing to go all the way to, okay. Cause like, you know, from, from a betting perspective or an action, the next logical question, given that this is the number one team in the Eastern conference by adjusted net rating, factoring straight the schedule. What does this team have a shot in the East? And like that's where I like hit this really fascinating wall of being like, wow, like I accept that they're really good. I think it's largely sustainable, even if they fall off some. And yet I'm just like, I just can't, I can't visualize them winning a playoff series. Like, how can both of those things be true? They are a, a fat, they're an exceptionally fun team to watch, and they're they're deeply fascinating trying to figure out what's real, what's not. Is that like how can it look so real from every perspective if it's not? And then what does this mean for not only only the playoffs, but their future as a franchise goes forward. Yeah, you run into this question about sustainability and both both sustainability in the regular season and sustainability in the playoffs, which I think are two very different factors. And it's notable and that we've had so many teams kind of hit one or both of those thresholds in, in Reese Pass, like the Hawks, and I think the Knicks were an interesting example this last year. At various points, the Mavericks and a couple other teams have been there. And so for Cleveland... The idea of is it real? And so I think in the in the regular season construct, most of it is. So they are getting, you know, one of the easy fallbacks that I have is thinking about opponent shooting, the general idea that you can control where an opponent shoots far more than you can control their success from long distances. In Cleveland right now, some of the best shooting luck in the league from three. Uh, opponents are shooting 32.5% from three, not in garbage time. That's clean the glasses filter. That's the second lowest in the league. You expect that to to regress to the mean, roughly 35%. 
that's going to be a few points per 100 possessions. But a lot of the other stuff, being really good as a rim-protecting team, being very good forcing turnovers and defending the rim without fouling, yeah, I mean, there's total reason to believe that, and they have this rotation, and Garland is taking some real steps forward. So I'm getting close Not to saying like they're legit, meaning they're the best regular season team in the Eastern Conference, because I think some of the other teams have had harder, you know, they've had more injuries and everything else. But Nate asked me this a little bit ago, and it's like, could I see them as the four seed this year? Maybe the three? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like there, there are. You mentioned the, the the indicators that maybe there's some regression coming. What was interesting is about I don't know two three weeks ago I think um, I took a look at the Cavs and the Wizards right because they were like kind of the talks of the league and I did like a deep dive on all right which one of these teams is, is going to sustain and which one of them is not and. I came out, I was like, oh no, I think the Wizards might be what I refer to as a mirror team. They get to December, they look themselves in the mirror and they go, oh, we're not very good. Oh, and then they regress. And sure enough, we've kind of seen that happen. Yep. Um, versus the Cavs, I was like, look, there's just a lot, like a lot of indicators. Um, I, I got in some hot water with Cavs Twitter because there was a poll asking, like, rank the Cavs best players right now, or most important, I think it was. Um and I had Mobley one, and I had Jared Allen all the way down at three, and they were very upset about that over Rubio. Um, and I'm willing to say, like, okay, let's move Jared Allen up to number two. But for me, like, for this is one of the reasons why I think Evan Mobley is such a great rookie of the year pick is, like, Mobley's genuinely impacting them. Oh, yeah. Before. Like, it, it's very interesting because he he always kind of profiled as an impact player that could do a lot of things um, that would, I, for a lot, I've always used this term from the Lebowski of tie the room together. Mm-hmm. And, like, he just ties the room together on both ends. If Jared Allen pursues a block and is out of position, Evan Mobley is there to recover and make a really athletic play. Uh, if they need some sort of like just a go-to bucket, he's able to go in the post and get one. Like there's so many things that Mobley does to take them from a good, talented, scrappy team to being way more complete. And that impact, I think, is just huge. And it it translates to the to the eye test. It translates to the advanced metrics. And the big reason why I wasn't on him for Rookie of the Year is I was like, okay, he may do those things, but they're not going to be good enough. And uh, he won't have the production. Well, his production is there. And that's been a big reason why they are good enough is what he's given them. And they've won games without him. They've done really well with them. They obliterated the Rockets the other night. Um, but I, I do just look at this team and I go, they're, they're, you can't identify much with them that you can really look at and go, they're missing this outside of like an elite shot creator because I'm just not willing to get Darius Garland there yet. Elite shot creator, I want to see more overall shooting just on the yeah. roster. And then they've gotten some from Jetty and Okoro now that he's been playing better pre-protocols. I thought I thought that that could be a significant wrinkle into this. And also having a defender at the two guard has made their defense so much more potent because it's like, oh, okay, now if Garland is, is really the only guy there that you're truly scared about like as the Cavs defensively you can make that work we've seen teams over the years you know if you want to go with the Warriors with Steph Curry or various other ones if you have especially with the rim protection they have one of the arguments in favor of Mobley and yes there is a lot you know we're dealing when you're already cutting a when you have an already small pie and you're cutting it in smaller portions there are a lot of caveats hopefully people who listen to this are familiar with those caveats the Cavs yeah. have defended better when Mobley's been on the floor without Jared Allen than when Jared Allen has been off mm-hmm. the floor without Evan Mobley. Yeah, I noticed that. And that is an interesting sign. Like, that is, yeah. I don't, I'm not all the way to it's all signal or anything crazy like that. I would need to do significantly more digging. But part of why Mobley is looming larger for me is that I, I worried about him 
kind of defensively and offensively, my one of my concerns was his motor, which has been much better than it was at SC. Another one is he sort of like I was worried about with Bam, but I didn't watch film on Bam the way I did on Mobley. I worried that he was a tweener between the four and the five defensively, that he kind of did some stuff well in both camps, but didn't do enough well in either, that it was always going to be an awkward fit. And it appears preliminarily, and considering how considering how young he is, that he might be the opposite, which is, I, I call it a slash. So a tweener is you're kind of between the, let's say in this case, the four and the five. A slash means you can do either. And that is a very weird jump to do. He wouldn't be the first. He won't be the last, but it's so significant for where the Cavs go. You mentioned the Lakers. I mean, I think they're, they're pretty evident, right? Um, so I had to, as we record this on Friday, for Action Network, I had to do a breakdown of the uh, Lakers-Wolves game from a betting perspective. And with Russ, obviously, in protocols, um, I hope everything's good there, as was for every all the 10% of the league that's in protocols right now. Um, this 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 metric is just blowing my mind. Um, so the, the Lakers have played better in the last two weeks, right? Like they played a lot better. Uh, they their defensive rating is second in the league. They played some truly awful defenses or offenses for sure. They played some bad teams, but they've been better. Like that's what you wanted to see was a little bit of consistency from them. Their big problem was that they had a really easy schedule to start off and they were still losing. Um, in the last two weeks, this is where you you would expect the regular season numbers so far to kind of flip, and you would see like oh. Yeah, the defense has gotten better. So probably like Anthony Davis has gotten better and like all these other things. So like probably you're going to see what we've expected, which is like the rust minutes are bad. Um, In the last two weeks, with all three on the court, all three superstars for the Lakers, the Lakers are plus 20.4, Danny. Whew. Plus 20.4. If you take Russell Westbrook off of the court and you leave LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the two players that we trust and and believe in, they're minus 1.3. Hmm. And that echoes what we've seen throughout the season. Because if you look at the overall numbers for the season with Westbrook on the court, that duo is plus 4.2. If you take Russ off of the court, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, in it's only 108 minutes, small sample, but they're minus 7.7. That's crazy. So, and if you do the splits, you wind up seeing LeBron and Russ are really good together and AD has been a drag. That's like what the data has said. And that does not make any sense whatsoever, except for if you watch and if you watch and if you, I mean, you have to really pay attention. Don't, don't watch Cade Cunningham stupidly trying to take, you know, late uh, game isolation possessions versus Anthony Davis one-on-one. Don't with a low level of explosiveness. Don't do that. Go back and really watch game by game. Really just, just watch Anthony Davis on defense game by game. And you will notice that Anthony Davis is kind of getting torched. His possession by possession impact has been so much lower this year. On the defensive end, most of all. Like, yes, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, like the jumper regressing. Okay, like we kind of, I like I expected that, you know, like it wasn't great last year when he played. Um, it was really only good in the bubble. And, you know, he takes tough shots. So it's like, all right, you know, league shooting is down overall and all these type of fa- factors. But when you watch the defense and you look at the Lakers rim rate and you see how much teams are getting to the rim and how they're converting there. And then you go and you do the, the film work and you notice that guys are just blowing by Anthony Davis or Anthony Davis is getting caught and not have, making an effort to challenge some shots. It's really shocking. But at the same time, there's a lot of like promising signs here that the Lakers are probably better than how they played this season and will continue to improve, particularly like if Anthony Davis just stops playing badly. Like that sentence, if Anthony Davis just stops playing badly, the Lakers will probably wind up 
as a solid playoff seed is fascinating. Um, and then that's before you factor in the talk that Russ could be traded, which like I it was previously reported um, by Jake Fisher over Bleacher Report. I had heard the same. I wrote about it over at Action Network that there's talk around the league that the Lakers have at least considered the idea of trading Russ midseason, which is sh- like we're a month in, like we're a month and a half in. It's amazing. Um, so they are, I mean, they are categorically fascinating from every perspective. They really are. And another reason to be optimistic about the Lakers is that by my read, they have a lot of players that are kind of about the same level of quality. I'm talking more about the support guys. And what that allows Frank Vogel to do if things work out is mix and match and play the guys who are doing better, who are a better fit in that circumstance. And so when we're evaluating this through a playoff prism or the end of the regular season or whatever else, so maybe this is a time for Trevor Reza, this is a time for Bazemore, this is a time for Malik Monk or Ellington or whoever else. That that can be good. Now, the problem is, are those players two-way players enough to be able to work in those crucibles against teams that have better talent one to five than the Lakers do, especially four to four and five, like on the on the court at that given time? It's a challenge. But yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated with them. So, OK, so you said you had three. The Cavs and the Lakers were two of them. Who is your other most interesting team? The Dallas Mavericks. Yep, they're top of my tier two. Uh, My question for the—so for me, the reason they're not Tier 1 is I didn't think they were like a—I didn't think they were a high enough ceiling team that— even though they're defying my expectations, all that, I may, but maybe I should have them and the Bulls in the same category. I, that that was that was a challenge for me. But let's get to Dallas. Well, I mean, I think this is it's relevant. Like you, yours, t- your top is like interesting and important, right? Mm-hmm. And the Mavericks, I don't think are important. That that's I, a good distillation of it. Yeah. yeah. And well, I think it's very interesting that the Mavericks are not important. I think that's that's yes, really very good point. They're fourteen and fourteen with the nineteenth best adjusted net rating over dunks and threes. Dot com. Yep. Like, that that's. It, it, they for a while were skating with a good record and and the fan sentiment was like well look you know i get it that it hasn't looked pretty but like you know they're over 500 they're you know third in the west and they're getting the wins that's what matters and and now like the the check has come and but here's the problem is like the check has come with luca out except for the fact that luca is a net negative on the floor this season which is one of several just like really amazing like if you don't buy into points per 100 possession on court stuff right which i don't really understand because at its core it's are you winning or are you losing the minutes with a guy on the court that's the fundamental basis of basketball like points scored points allowed efg you know vorp like i i love all these metrics but at its core basketball is about did you outscore the other team and that's its, its most base function and for the best player on the court to have one of the worst net ratings even when you take dwight powell off which that was the next question mavericks had for me it was like well okay it's because he plays with Dwight Powell and I was like all right well he's minus 4.2 when Dwight when Dwight Powell doesn't play and they were like oh it's fascinating like, the, the, they, the idea that an optimized version of the Mavericks still aren't as good as we thought they were is what I've been lingering on and so like I mean another version of this is 108.3 non-garbage time offensive rating when Luca's on the floor and yes there is a downturn relative to previous years 118 the last two years before this yeah and I, sure. they just haven't been good enough offensively they're not taking good shots and here's here's the problem though if you told me in preseason because i was such a jason kid skeptic he said hey the mavericks are not great offensively 
a month and a half into the season. What do you think? I guess we're two months in now. Um, I would have said, oh, well, they're probably not taking threes and they're probably taking a bunch of mid-range jumpers and it looks like a very clunky and like KP is posting up and he's struggling and maybe like Tim Hardaway Jr. is having like a bad shooting season, etc. And instead, what you have is you have a Dallas team that is sixth in three-point rate, but 24th in converting them. Had an awesome night versus the Hornets the other night where they got a bunch of open looks and finally knocked them down. For the season, that's been one of their their primary issues. Um, what's been interesting, and I've had a lot of these these I've had I've been on um, Spotify Green Room with Kirk Henderson over at Mavs Moneyball talking about some of this. Is the second spectrum data judging shot quality is really interesting because when you they've got different metrics for overall shot quality relative to the league average and then relative to the shooter. And the Mavericks numbers for the league average are terrible. And if you adjust it for the shooter, they're better, but they're still only middling. So like really what it comes down to is is you mentioned optimized. Like the Mavericks are so far away from being an optimized offense. And it's not because of the shots necessarily that they're generating on aggregate. It's very specifically the context of how they're they're doing them, of how they're creating them, how they're generating them. Um, you know, a lot of this from a metrics perspective just simply comes down to the fact that they're so bad in generating shots of the rim. They're 30th in rim rate, right? Yeah, and, that's, that's the, and, and they were shaky on that last year under Carlisle too, but yep. it's, it's even more extreme now if memory serves than it was. The other confounding thing about the Mavericks to use your framing of if you had told me in the preseason, they're below water, you know, net rating, they're being outscored overall. They're top half of the league in defense right now. Yeah. It's like one of the ways, like if you had told me before the season, the Mavericks have a negative net rating. I've been like, okay, their offense took a step back under kid, but they also just weren't, they aren't there defensively. And so they're, you know, maybe like 25th in defense. And then they're, so they're kind of like the Blazers. That would have been my idea is like the, they're like the Blazers, but their offense doesn't quite as much problem. Nope. 13th on defense it's and some of that i think is real and some of that i'm i'm still a little bit skeptical about but they're i think i think a good canary in the mine is that they're 18th in half court defense Mm-hmm. So they're shutting down a lot of transition stuff, and that's good. Like it's, it's important to shut down transition stuff. I think they're pretty good in um, points allowed per hundred possessions in fast break points. But like they're also, I mean, look, their <laughs> their overall defense um, has been really good versus teams shooting out of pick and roll. But what's interesting is like they're also twenty fourth in spot up. So teams are shooting really well versus them. Like they go from when you're they're just defending the ball handler, this is synergy. When they're just defending the ball handler, they have the twelfth best defense. But when they you include passes, they go to twenty fifth versus the pick and roll. Hmm. I mean it's it's really, really interesting. And this is this is besides the fact that they are twenty sixth defensively around the rim on non post ups. Like they have a good defensive rating, but when you look under the hood, you're just like None of this is like none of this is promising. None right. of this. So and and that's what leads to the weirdest revelation for the Mavericks, which is the idea of okay, where does it go from here? Yeah. And the answer is I'm not entirely sure on yeah. either end of the floor. No. Like, this is the thing is Lucas should get better, right? Like Lucas should work. Like he's admitted that he wasn't in shape. He should work himself back into shape. You don't expect a player of his caliber who is the MVP favorite entering the season to have this type of a season and continue to perform like this. So he probably gets himself back into shape after he gets healthy, works himself in, starts to play better. Tim Hardaway Jr. hit shots. They're getting great minutes from Chris S. Porzingis. He's having a really good, like a bounce back season for him. Um, as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood. And yet there's just like a lot of signals here that I'm like, I just don't think this is a good team. 
I just don't. I don't think that I don't think that they're being optimized enough. I think if you can have the approach that Jason Kidd has brought to them, if you have a better roster, and I think you can have this roster if you have a coach that's going to optimize them more. But you got this weird combination of both, and yet it's like if they get a little bit, they're fourteen and fourteen. If they get a little bit better, they're above five hundred. They're probably in the playoff hunt for a seat outright. Yeah, it's it, they're fascinating. So for me, my top three was Cavs, Mavericks, and Lakers. Um, I'm very interested in your in your Bulls take. Tell me why they're on your most interesting list. Part of it is because I was just so low on them before the start of the season. For sure. And so teams that define my expectations are, are there. And defensively, you know, they've been... It, part of that is Billy Donovan playing better defensive personnel. The DeRozan channeling, in some ways, the MVP Westbrook season and the idea that you could put a lot of good defenders around him and the offense is still going to be okay. Like, that is an important development, more as a regular season construct than as a postseason. Just it's too hard as the opponent quality ramps up. Usually that won't work. Not always, but usually that won't work. And it's also interesting to me because one of the ways, like if you're telling me, you know, Chicago plus three roughly net rating on the year, that that happened, I'd be like, okay, Vooch is doing well, you know, the offense flows. And it's like, yeah, other things are working, but that Vooch hasn't really been that guy is potentially fascinating to me. And what does that mean for the franchise? But I... For me, it's also why I think about them a lot is the idea of okay, you're better than I you're better than I expected, and not as extreme as Cleveland, but I am I'm acknowledging I'm acknowledging that overall. Then it becomes like we talked about with Cleveland. Well, okay, what does that mean now and moving forward? Both is that when we're thinking about it as an 82 game thing, as a 16 game thing, and then moving forward in the years, and I'm still unsure there. So in preseason, like we talked, we, you know, I debated, we talked about this and I I mentioned how high I was on Chicago. And one of my primary um, theories on them was that Billy Donovan would take a personnel that is very well suited for what he runs and be able to make it work. And we've seen that. Um, Like Vooch, if you looked back in the Orlando years, when he had capable defenders around him in drop, the defense was fine to good. And so I like there have been jumps I didn't expect. Lonzo Ball was not a great on ball defender the last couple of years. He was a spectacular help defender, but his on ball stuff left a little to be desired. He's been one of the five best defensive players on ball this season. Like he just been he's made the leap. He's been amazing. Caruso has been everything that you would expect. Um, one thing I do think is is a, is a little interesting with them when I look at like the question of what they can do in the East. I'm not there yet. Same. I need to be, be, need to be there, be clear on this. I'm not there yet. However, I have a selling point for you. My expectation would be that they were one of the teams that run drop the most, right? You got Vucevic, you got DeRozan, you got Levine. So you're probably just like, you're playing drop all the time. You're playing the most conservative defense possible. You've got, you're, you're ball hawking, so you're creating turnovers. They've been a phenomenal transition team, right? Um, and so they're hitting you fast and then getting back and like creating pressure. And and, and basically in general, it's like a, a very conservative scheme with some guys on the edge being super aggressive and that's hard to, to take care of in the playoffs right you got elite ball handlers that are going to create they'll burn you versus drop etc except in a very like kind of weird thing they haven't actually run drop that, that much. much yeah it's true um they're 22nd league-wide in drops per 100 possessions playing that scheme they play a very diverse set of coverages they play up to touch they're switching a lot more than i thought they were and and it's going Um, it's going better than i expected though i'm still a little bit queasy on it yeah uh it's so that's kind of the question right is like some of the results are are in are the when you start chopping these possessions right is you get from it's, it's like the stuff that i do where i'm doing the player combinations where it's like okay you got a healthy sample with all three players 
all right, one with two, you know, two with one is a smaller slice of that. One without both is like a tiny fraction. And so you're trying to like take signal from all of these like different, you know, separations. But yeah, like their switch has gone well. Their ice coverage has gone well. They're showing well. They've done good stuff with Blitz. Um, even playing up to touch, they're allowing a pretty low rate there as well. Like they, they've done really good stuff in terms of differentiating their coverage. They're getting contributions off the bench from a lot of different guys. And in a playoff environment, we always, you know, it's like you need those guys that can go get your own shots. Well, Levine and DeRozan are two of the best. Well, you need guys that can punish the defense if they help. Well, Lonzo's shooting well. They've had, they don't generate enough threes. I think that's kind of the concern is that they wind up hitting a team that's just going to like, like the Nets or the Bucks that are just going to basically outpace them with the math problem. But even if they get to a point where it's like losing to the Nets or the Bucks, like that's still further than we would expect them to get anyway. For sure. I want to see more of it. I just will say that, like, if we take the model of them, especially healthy before the COVID stuff, the profile doesn't look nearly as much like, oh, this is a regular season team as I would have thought it would. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Uh, and then on the Warriors front, I think it's for them, it's more that they defied expectations rather than how. Like, I'm not as I'm not as intrigued by the how because I think we kind of already know it. But right. But if you were to say what team is the most different in terms of win loss or net rating than like my base like if i didn't do uh what nate did i think i think you do it too of like drawing out what everybody's my projected win totals would be mm-hmm. the warriors are probably the furthest off just because i mean as, as we're recording this they're 23 and 5 yep and so so that's why they get they get that place in the conversation um my so my tier two we've already talked about a couple of the team we've already talked about one actually i called it still trying to figure out and the one we already discussed is the mavericks and it's pretty obvious why they've been lingering in my mind and we already discussed it the other two one of which nate and i did for the nba cast this week are the celtics and the timberwolves interesting celtics i brought this up when we were doing when we were doing the live show but it's it I don't know what to do with this. I think some would interpret this as me making an argument. I am not necessarily making an argument. I'm just something that's been interesting me. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams are on the floor together, which has only happened so far for 392 possessions, which is not that much over the course of a season for guys that you want on the floor a lot together. Celtics are plus 18. Yep. That is crazy. And yep. so my what I'm grappling with is... Is the is it that simple a story? Is it that they haven't had, you know, Jalen Brown's, not only has he missed time, but some of the time that he's been available has been limited due to the hamstring and a few other things. Tatum has been below his usual standards and, and, and you know, and Robert Williams is actually, he's, he's been, he's been, be- he's been about what I expected, maybe a little better. So the one interpretation of that is, okay, all they need is their best players available. That does help make parts of the rotation make more sense and everything else. But I also think there's a lot of, I think that there's some anomalous stuff there. And so I don't think it's that simple a story. I don't think the Celtics are going to shoot nine to 39% on threes overall. I don't think their opponents are going to shoot 29% on threes when those three guys are together. So I'm, I think I just need more time, but I mean, they had that nice performance over the Bucks. Chris Middleton got hurt during that game. and didn't come back. And so I'm just not sure how I feel about them. And I think it's a sim. Well, let's start with them and then we'll move on to Minnesota afterwards. So I saw this relatively low. Uh, they're in my second to bottom tier. The reason, the reason is um, everything that you've kind of talked about, I think for me, it boils down to, I do kind of explain it, which is they're bad when Jalen hasn't played, which is like, I would expect that. There are certain teams that are so top heavy 
that if you remove certain key parts, the drop off is enormous. Not always. It's not as much as people think. Like if you, there are teams that have constructs to hold them up. I don't think the Celtics do. Um, so Jalen's been out, and then on the top of it, they're just an inconsistent team. Yep. Like that's like, and that's the thing is like, I don't necessarily find that all that interesting. I'm more of I am past the point that like last year I thought was really weird and fast and fascinating, but now I'm just like, oh, they're just kind of like last year where you know like I like the roster, but they're not playing great together, and they play great together sometimes, but then they have absolute they have games where they just absolutely face plant. Um, am I remembering the, correctly? There was a game against the Blazers that was like that, or was that the Blazers face? planning against them i remember it being an existential crisis game i just try to remember which way i can't remember which one one either um so for me i i just kind of look at it and i go like a lot of it for me the most interesting thing i think about them if i were to move them up is to what degree did brad stevens ability to get guys to play hard play a role in their success over the last five years mm-hmm. like that's the one that's been bugging me because i don't necessarily look at Udoka and think that he's doing things badly like tactically or anything i agree i just don't think that they play as hard um that's been like a lot of the drop-off like that was the thing last year it was under stevens like this was the try hardiest of the tryhards. like they were just they gave so much effort night after night after night after night and now like they're like a normal team that gives like good effort some nights and not great effort some nights and you know they'll have bad quarters more and more that started last year under stevens but like that that's been a lot of it is like they'll just have these nightmarish quarters and so it, it's not necessarily I, I guess here's the thing i've kind of i'm willing i'm open to being wrong about this even with the plus 18 stuff i'm kind of at the point where i'm just like i can't take them seriously as a threat you know i just i'm like i can't I, take them seriously as a threat to win a championship but as a team that could you know depending on the matchup make a little bit of noise in the playoffs yeah i mean that's also for me not being as sold like okay here i'll give you the example let's say both teams are full strength E in the playoffs let's say it's a bulls celtics first round bulls have home court would i be like no brainer it's the bulls no not for me no no yeah and so that's why i'm i think i'm still interested in the celtics is not the idea that there's a eastern conference finalist or an eastern conference champion in there for this year though i do think there's some regression in the mean for guys like tatum and stuff maybe i think there i think there may be more in that mix than something but that's it's a pretty high bar anyway and but it's it's just like and with them they have the they have these talents and with Jalen I gained a greater appreciation for this doing that game on Monday is just that the their offense move flows better when he's out there and so it's not necessarily that he is unbelievable though I really like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown it's that they don't have a replacement and that can be a real challenge uh okay so I so now let's get to Minnesota where did you have them Second tier. So yeah, you mentioned so same. Tier. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you my second tier. I did have the Wolves in the second tier. Uh, this, tuz- this tier, by the way, is called Pulling Your Puzzles Apart. Shout out to Coldplay. Um, the Wolves, mm-hmm. the Indiana Pacers, uh-huh. and the Memphis Grizzlies. Those are the three teams I have in my tier two. Um, let's talk about Wolves because they are probably my, my favorite. But they're my they, – they the, I will say this. If I did it by your uh, assessment of how often do I think about this team, I would say that the Wolves would be number one. <laughs> I think about the Minnesota Timberwolves way too much. And like part of this is because um, I have my biggest preseason win total position on the Wolves over Mm. was I looked at everything and thought that this was the softest point um, to get in on. Um, It's not by a huge margin. The Jazz, I have a a massive amount on and that line was laughable at 51. Um, But this one was 39 and a half is the number I got at. And it's, you know. That's a, a number that's tough because this is exactly like where the wolves are. It's just like it's the dividing line between are you decent or are you bad? 
And that that line can swing on close games. It can swing on, you know, absences mm-hmm. for a couple of games. Guy tweaks his ankle and everything like that. A part of it for the Wolves is this idea, you know, going back to the four factors. Minnesota is 11th on defense. They're number one in forcing turnovers and 30th at defensive rebounding and foul rate. I don't think I've ever seen a team that is one in one four factor and, th- and 30 in two others. Like, that's insane. Like, how does that happen? I mean, we know how it happens, but it's still incredible. Like this, this was a stat I did for the the guy that I did for Lakers Wolves. Uh, they are thirteen and ten when D'Angelo Russell plays. Mm-hmm. They're thirteen and ten. Like they're good. They've been good when D'Angelo Russell plays, who has the the best net rating on the floor. Who the defense is way better. And you know, Seth Part now was like, well, look, we just don't. And Seth's very smart, and he's just like, there's just no way that this is correlated. Like this is just noise. And I agree. I think for me, it's a question of um, I will say it's really interesting to to look at this where uh, from a betting perspective, sometimes you're basically just trying to say, look, um, my priors weren't all right, but enough of my priors were right that all I need is this one swing factor of luck variance. Like a keystone. Yeah. To go my way for this to cash. Because that was the Knicks thing last year. If you had a Knicks over ticket, I did not. But if you had a Knicks over ticket and everyone was like, look, the defense is going to regress. And you're like, but what if it doesn't? (laughs) and it didn't until this year um and that's like a lot of it with the d'angelo russell information it's just like that's that's how it's going um i will say the one of the biggest reasons why i was high on the wolves was their their changes in defense is i just believed there was this weird idea that permeated and you know they had david vanderpool who's considered like one of the best architects of, of drop coverage there was a defense of that idea with them because they were just like well you know cat's not actually that good like not actually that mobile to be able to play at the level and like we could just conclusively say that's not true now right like we, we could just conclusively say it's just not accurate um like they're they're allowing 0.88 points per possession playing at the level of the screen and they're switching a fair amount too like they have a very diversified set where they play most at the level and then they switch or if they really have to against certain opponents they drop they have good kyp i think jared vanderbilt making a leap which i liked him in denver uh has been big for them i think they're getting good minutes from nas reed i think they're getting good minutes when Okogi's been available. I think he's played well for them defensively. I think Towns' effort level has been high. I think Ant's a madman. And, like... I think this team is good and that the numbers kind of support the idea that this is a good defensive team. So then the question is, is the offense as bad as it has been? And I don't think it is. I agree with you. And yeah. One of the other weird parts of the Wolf story, which when you think about it actually makes some sense is that in the early part of the year, the defense was exceeding expectations and they were forcing a ton of turnovers and the room protection stuff was a little bit wonky, but you're getting into that. They've swapped out the two players that you kind of think of as the defensive guy and they're starting lineup. And it the overall picture isn't that different. You know, putting Pat Bev, who they was intended to be, you know, at least a part of that, and then the Vanderbilt McDaniels kind of shifting around there, which I find so fascinating. But at the same point, when you're getting your when your offensive juice is coming from other guys, you can get good defenders with different theories that work out. And I think that's been part of the story for them. A hundred percent. I think um I think the offense will continue to improve. I think that they're legit. What's fascinating to me about them 
I think it's just like how quickly it could go sideways. Because like when they were losing early this season, you would read the quotes and like Towns was about to lose his mind. I know. Like they were so on the level of like blow it up. Like Wolves fans were literally like fire the coach. And I kept like trying to reiterate. I was like, I'm telling you, you're fine. You've had a tough schedule. Your offense is underperformed. Your defense is getting the job done. You've just got to hang in. Like you're getting some bad bounces. Just hang in. And it still hasn't, like, paid off, but they've stabilized. I don't think that this is a great team. I don't think this is a team that can make any noise in the playoffs. I don't think necessarily that they can win, depending on the matchup. I think it's going to be very much a coin flip if they get into the play-in environment, right? But, like, I've bet them to make the play-in, and I went ahead and I bet a play-in, a playoff ticket, because I got it at a very big number that I can then hedge against the team that they face. Um, I, I will say that, like, I think Cat's playing amazing. I have a, do you want my hottest, I, I've said this a couple of times on some podcasts, but um, I will give you my hottest take, my hottest Wolves take. It's my supernova Here we molten go. lava take. You ready? Of course. Anthony Edwards is the Damian Lillard to Carl Anthony Towns' LaMarcus Aldridge. So that, so that got it, that ties in with an argument that Nate and I had early in the season. Somebody asked, I think it was on an NBA cast, it might have been on something else, who was the most important Timberwolf? And I said Edwards was more important to the arc of the franchise than Towns. And I think it's a similar logic. Yeah, I agree. Like, I just think that that's this, I, I genuinely think that that's where we're at. Like, um, I think Cat is going to be, I think he's underrated. I think, or I think uh, Ant is underrated. I think he's going to be phenomenal. Um, look, I will say, I think Cat's approach has been much better this season. You know, like he's not, that game against the Nuggets is a good example. He took it to Jokic and he got a bunch of buckets on him, but he didn't force the issue. He wasn't too ramped up. Uh, he wasn't trying to like dramatically prove a point. He just played basketball and he played really well and he and he scored 32 and Ant hit 10 threes, so it got lost. But without Cats 32, they don't win that game. And agreed. He, the effort level has been there on defense. They're connected. They're playing great. I like their energy. I think I legitimately think Chris Finch is a great coach. I think the offense will regress. I think that this is a good team, but I'm not so certain as to not include them in most interesting. Yep, yeah, I think that I. Think I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, I have the Pacers a little bit lower, but is part of it just is part of it for you the evaluation trade deadline stuff? Because I have them in a separate category based on that. So, have you looked at what their adjusted net rating is? Yeah, I looked at it. God, I looked at it like a, a, about a week ago, if memory serves. It, it slipped uh, in the last two games because uh, they had two disappointing losses. That and that Milwaukee game was in a like they are definitely the one step forward, two steps back. Okay. Especially in terms of like the emo, you can imagine the emotion of their fan base. Like th- that that question of like you feel like oh we could be optimistic. Like I've been saying that for the Pacers. Like they're better than they're better than certain things, and then they get beaten by the like half bucks. Yeah, by the half bucks. Um, shout out Mike Budenholzer in division games. Oh yeah. Um, oh my god. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> like this is the, this is the the biggest thing here is that the Pacers already. So the biggest differential last season, Danny, in expected win differential per clean the glass was the Jazz at 5.9. Like, they were an even better team than they were last year, which is ridiculous. And, and um, Locke has talked before pretty well about why that's kind of always going to be the case with them. Um, yeah. Basically, that just the structure of their team, and, and because yeah. teams that have that kind of a net rating are never going to win as many games as they as they quote-unquote yeah. should. You know what's interesting? They don't cover as a double-digit favorite. Just from a better, little note on the Jazz, interesting thing, they don't have a great record covering as a double-digit favorite. I find that fascinating. Um, but anyway, back to Indiana. So 5.9 was the mark for the entire 72-game season for the Jazz last year. Danny, the Pacers are already 4.7 under. Yep. 4.7. Uh, you go to adjusted net rating for dunks and threes, factoring in strength of schedule. Last week, before the last two games, the Pacers were ninth. Ninth best in 
the league. Ninth in the NBA, not ninth in the Eastern Conference, ninth in the NBA. Ninth in the NBA in adjusted net rating, and they're 13 and 18. Uh, they're facing the trade questions. They're facing all these things. They're one and eight in games decided by three points or less. One and eight. And their clutch record is even worse. And you can just point to it and go like, well, that's like the entirety of it, right? It's not that interesting. They just lose a bunch of close games. So my question is like, why? Especially when I was reminded of this, Mavericks fans were like, oh, we had that problem with Carlisle and Dallas. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like the Mavericks were one of the worst clutch teams in the league the last two years before this season. And now the Pacers are the second worst team in the league in clutch time. So why? Why why would that be the case? I, like, I don't have a good explanation. Hopefully, Carlisle, this team is relevant long enough that Caitlin Cooper can figure this out because I'm not sure that I can. Yeah. So this is the thing is if we're talking about the like most interesting, the, the Pacers are one of these Netflix documentaries where you're just like, what? <laughs> and so, so people have it out there in using the NBA's definition of clutch. So within five points within the last five minutes, negative 21 net rating, four and 13 in those games. Whew. And so it's like, you know, why would it be that bad? And okay, these are all numbers, right? And like we spouted like a bunch of numbers. Like I watched them and I'm just like, these is, this is a talented roster. They got Malcolm Brogdon, Demonis Sabonis, and Miles Turner who's playing great. They've got, you know, Chris Duarte, I think has been really solid as a rookie. They got Karis LeVert back. Like the they've got Justin Holiday coming off of the bench. They they've useful players. They have a good coach. Why in the hell is this team 13 and 18? It's it's crazy. And if they're 13 and 18, but they they have to have seen this and know like, oh, we're better than this. Like, we're better. Like we, we can we can play out of this. But instead they're going the other way. Like I reported this week, the league sentiment now like the full full disclosure, like I didn't get this from somebody in Indiana. Okay. I got it from people that are familiar with the situation. But the word is that like Sabonis Sabonis is wanted out for like a long stretch of time. Scott Agnes that covers the Pacers and is plugged in with that team refutes that. He says that's not true. But that's getting spread. Maybe that's just people trying to pull some uh, Sabonis out because he's the most valuable asset. Entirely possible. I'm open to that idea. But like there's a real possibility this team gets absolutely detonated. But here's the thing. When that was reported by Sean Charania that they're like considering basically like a total fire sale. That goes against absolutely everything Herb Simon has ever done as owner of the Pacers. That is not his MO. He know like for one, you can't financially survive if you're not good enough to keep some fans in the building because their attendance is so bad, their TV deal is so bad, their market is so low. Well, and also it's hard for them to truly bottom out, partially because of the, some of the guys there are untradeable and because it's just difficult to make all of those, you know, doing what Orlando did is actually very difficult. Yeah. So like, what are they going to do? You know, and and like breaking up Sabonis Turner. I know Caitlin hates talking about that, but breaking up Sabonis Turner makes the most sense. But then like, where do you go and how do you go about it? Like, there's all these really fascinating questions about what direction that they could go in. And, and there's one other element that I think is extremely important. This is where uh, Seth Samasini and I got to, well, we didn't all agree, but where we got to in that we did a collaborative piece when the Shams Bob Graffitz piece came out, which is I firmly believe, like you do, that they are better than their record. However, I don't know that they're better than their record by enough that even the what I think they are is good enough to keep this group together. And it's the other kind of weird part of this. It's like you have this base question, which I think is the right place to focus, which is that they've, you know, the adjusted net ratings and everything else. And but then it's like, do you want to be just organizationally? Do you want to be a team that is between the fourth and the eighth best team in your conference for the next like three, four years? And I think if you're Herb Simon, you do. I, I I mean, it, he seemed in the Leonsis track, and also they're better than some of those Wizards teams have been. Not all of them, yeah. but some of them. 
And but that to me lends itself to the potential of a retool rather than a rebuild, shift a couple of pieces around, yeah. don't tear it down. And the other argument that I think is persuasive there is trading away a few pieces, even if you're focusing on future centric things, I don't think it actually moves the Pacers that far down in the East. And I know the East is stronger and it's more balanced than it has been in recent years. But let's say you trade Sabonis and half of your return, just conceptually, is players who can help you at least some right now. And half of it is future assets. That that makes you worse. Unambiguously, Mm -hmm. it makes you worse. But does it make you that much worse? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It makes yeah, you, and so like that's that's the other weird part of this. So okay, maybe you can make a move or two, and some of that, as it's kind of been reported, is depends on the return that is being offered for Sabonis and Turner and all that. And it's it's hard to it's hard to grasp. They're 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 weird. They're crazy. It's a fascinating story. No idea where it's going to go. They're super interesting. Um, my third tier is called the Kombucha Girls. Interesting. Because, because they are the Kombucha Girl meme where she's like, mm, mm, uh, mm, no, mm, uh, uh, mm. Uh, it's Eye of the Bulls there where I'm like, I can get like, they're pretty good. Uh, I don't know. Like, really? You know, DeRozan in playoffs? Vooch? Really? Um, I have the Golden State Warriors here just as like, honestly, I don't know where to put the Warriors, right? Like, I expected them to be really good. I have a just absurd amount of futures on them. I just have absurd division conference playoff like finals matchup win total Ev- Steph MVP Steph points leader uh, Steph three points leader like I, I just bet the Warriors six ways from Sunday so I obviously like thought they were going to be great and that it's been very satisfying to see them as such at the same time like the offense is kind of underperformed like they're they were great for a while the schedule has been extremely soft there's a little bit of question of if you face a team that does have... Now, I don't know if they, they do. I genuinely don't know if there's a defender in the Western Conference like Matisse Teibel. But if you face a team like the Sixers that are just going to absolutely send two dudes at you off every curl, can they make you pay? Yeah. Is Jordan is Jordan Poole good enough? Is Clay going to be ready? Can Wiggins do anything? So, like, that... They are... The way I've described the Warriors is they are phenomenal. They are back to being a powerhouse but not a juggernaut they are not unbeatable for sure they're just exceptionally great yep that that all seems reasonable to me my tier three the way i've referred to it is other title contenders so these are teams that absent being potentially championship teams would be way lower on my list but teams in that at that level of quality to me can never be lower than this because i'm thinking about them i'm evaluating in the context of what they can be and so for me that group is the heat the nets the bucks the Suns and the Jazz. A lot of that group, I'm not, I I wouldn't be thinking about them a lot right now. The Jazz are probably the quintessential example of this, but you are evaluating in the, in the context of, okay, what are they in April, May, and June? And so they never fall too far back in my mind. And so that's why they're here. Yeah. Um, I have the jazz here just because the jazz of like, it's very, it's been really interesting. So they'll, they had some losses and then they were, there was some noise about like, are we ever going to stop being the same team? And what was interesting was you could read some of the comments and have it be read as like, are we going to be the same formulaic team that beats us because they just break our system? And then you have go- comments from Gobert that basically seemed to be like, are we going to be the same selfish team that doesn't trust in the system? And like both those things were very interesting, but then they rattled off all these wins, which I'm grateful for because I have Jazz as a one seed prop. Um, I- I'm curious with the Rudy Gay stuff. I'm curious with how much like there are little things that they've done in the offense, allowing a, a few more ISOs off switches and letting Donovan 
cook a little bit. The problem is like those possessions are inherently less optimized, right? So the folks that love the jazz from the analytics community are like, why are you doing this? Donovan Mitchell is a drain. He's not that good. He should not be doing this. You have all these great options. Just run, like, create your offense. And it seems like they're trying to break that mold by trying to counter the switch that they're going to run into in the playoffs. I, I see a little bit from Utah of trying to figure out in-season answers to their playoff problems without making it obvious or costing themselves regular season wins. And that combo is very interesting. Um, I'm higher on the Jazz, I think, than I've ever been in the Gobert era in terms of their chances of making a run this year. I still wind up on the negative side because I'm still like, a team's going to switch and you can't punish it. Like You just can't. You can't punish it the way that you need to with Gobert on the floor. But I'm interested enough to put them in with the kombucha girls. It's like, hmm. Maybe. Yep, that that summarizes it pretty well for me. I'm higher on them relative to the conference than I have been before, but I'm still I'm still not all the way there. Phoenix, I think why well, I have I mean, you have this group, they're very much the same team, especially when they get Devin Booker back. They're they're quite good. They'll be they'll be in the mix. And to me that's a statement to a lot of these teams for me, having them here is actually a kind of a, a, a show of respect of like, okay, you're gonna be good. I know where you're going to be, and so I evaluate you through a different context. Yeah, for sure. Um I I'll just tell you I have the sun's in my bottom tier. That's fine. I if absent absent this concept, they would have been in the bottom for me. Uh, I do think the most interesting thing about them is that Aiden missed a bunch of games and they didn't miss a beat. Mhm. Um that's that's really interesting from a bunch of perspectives, but among them is just like here, here's what's fascinating. Their ceiling isn't that high. Like they don't kill teams the way that, that the Warriors and Jazz do. They don't destroy you. They just beat you. Like they just win. It's just like phenomenally competent, well executed basketball. And that to me is not necessarily interesting. Uh, it does present like some interesting questions about the playoffs. Uh, but I still have like a high level of confidence in them. Like I took the under on them as a flyer, right? Like I'm taking all these victory laps. Like I took the under on the Suns. I thought that they would probably have worse injury luck and they would regress a little bit. And instead I would say the Aiden thing was significant, but nobody else. And they lost Booker, right? So they yep. had the injury. They've had the bad injury luck and yet they're just there. They're so, just like, I underestimated them. And that's, that's just like where I'm at. I was like, oh no, they're just, they're really good. And they're going to be there in the end. And they've got a really good shot at winning the West again. They do. Anybody else in this tier for you? I, I know we have a difference kind of in criteria here. Anybody else here that you want to discuss at any length? No, um, I kind of want to skip my fourth tier. Um, we're running long on time. Like the, my fourth tier is Hawks, Heat, Sixers, Clippers, Knicks. I call them the wayward kids. Um, and it's basically just like they should be better, right? The Heat, you could make a lot of explanations for. They were dynamite early when they were fully healthy. Uh, the Markeith thing happened, which I don't, it's surprising me that Markeith should matter that much um, as a player. Like, hope he gets better. It's a terrible injury, but it was like, that was a cheap shot by Jokic. But still, I'm like, it's Markeith Morris. Um, but they lost Butler, they lost Bam. Right. And so some drop off is expected, but they kind of had that drop off before some of the injuries started crapping up. And so but they've been without guys in and out. Um, the Sixers, I just I don't know what I'm getting from them night at night tonight. They go on runs where they look really good. They went on a great run without Embiid. Then Embiid comes back and they lose to uh, the leftover Nets last night. And they've just been really inconsistent. Um, the Clippers, I don't think they're like are wayward. They're just kind of like, OK, like they're they're kind of there. They're interesting from a the Clippers, I continue to think are interesting from the idea of man i really want to know what Kawhi's thinking yes I just really want to know if he's like oh this team's good enough i'll come back or if he's like mm, might wait a year tough season might wait a year 
Um, and then the Knicks are just basically like, I think the Knicks probably are not as bad as they've been. They're just not good. And so that's kind of interesting. Um, this next tier I call just me. Danny, I want to get your thoughts on these two teams. Okay. These are two teams that I'm fascinated by that I don't think anyone else is. I think everyone just else goes, well, they're bad. And it's the Spurs and the Thunder. I think I'm, I think I think about the Spurs more than I think a vast majority of NBA writers. Yeah. Um and they're they're still relatively low on on this list for me just because I think about a lot of teams a lot, but I I got asked about them in a Discord chat earlier today and it, the idea basically like how close are they to being a lot better than they are and it's like yeah, if they could get a little more juice offensively, I like their defensive foundation. I pretty much have for a while. But the the thing that I have trouble reconciling with them is how to get from A to B and whether they will actually do it. But yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. And then the other team was the Thunder. I probably spend less time thinking about them just because they're they're a like quarter baked cookie and I know I shouldn't eat it just yet, so I'm gonna wait a little bit. The the question of like they need like they definitely need one guy at the top. Like this is my argument for their under in the in win totals was I was like, man, their best player makes fifteen million. No no team is gonna win a lot of games with their best guy making fifteen million. Um I don't know what like you mentioned, like if they got a little bit more juice offensively, they'd have to give up stuff. And if you give right. up stuff, you you give up what makes the team good, which is how sound they are guy by guy. But they have so many dudes that I like watching. I'm surprised by it. I really like watching Derek White. Um he's been great. He's just so shifty. He just is, is so crafty. I like DeJounte's is finally starting to look like he's recovered from the ACL. That's huge. Uh, Yaga Pertl is one of my favorite. Like, no one recognizes that dude. And I just, he does a lot of the things that I care about. Um, you and I both of, value rim protection in a way that some other people don't. <laughs> I, I value rim protection, but I also value, like, setting good screens. Oh, yeah. And, uh, like, he's a, like he, he's never going to force stuff up. If he's like, oh, I can't get this shot up, I'm going to get blocked. I'm just going to pass. Like, he just doesn't do any of the dumb stuff where he's like, I'm going to try and take a fadeaway, like, layup with two guys and an elite shot blocker over me. He's like, I'm not making this. I'm getting out. But if he's like, no, I can do this. He can, mu- I can muscle in. He's like, he's strong as an ox. I like Pirtle a lot. Um, oh, just I had really- a question about, so for, for Derek White, how yeah. worried are you about his jumper right now? I'm worried, right? Um, I think a lot of it for him is he seems to still be navigating that mid range in terms of where his dribble wants to go which is weird after all this time, but he does seem like as kind of a lead creator, he doesn't seem as certain as he used to be. I think some of that is because there's no gravity with either DeRozan uh, or LMA, right? Like it's the, the gravity equation has changed for him. And that to me has seemed one of the reasons why his jumper has not looked good is that he's like shook a little bit um, trying to get to mid range spots. That's fair, but I could be wrong. He could just not be a good shooter. Um, And that's like a good question. Like I think they need like an elite creator, right? Um, If let's say that just like, a magic spell was was cast and Zach Levine is on the team, right? Then I'm like, ooh, the Spurs, you know? I'm like, yeah, exactly. Hey. I, I, I'm I'm pretty much in the same mold. And somebody asked about Miles Bridges. I'm like, eh, I, I mean, he make them a lot better, but I think they need something fundamentally different than that. They need somebody who can be the like the person who the ball is in the their, their new primary ball handler. I think that's the and the offensive Spur- explosiveness. I think yes, the, the, the Spurs kind of are in that group of teams where. I then you brought, I'm happy you brought this up where I like a lot of their players, but I wish a lot of their players were in a different circumstance where their strengths mattered more and their weaknesses mattered less. Yeah. But that's the way it breaks sometimes. Who's your uh, fourth tier? My fourth tier, I called it the audience of one slash trade deadline. And those are teams where I'm most interested in them in the context. So the the Pacers are the exception here. I have them grouped in because I find their trade deadline so fascinating. But so the other two, it's 
Situations that I think about a lot because of a single person who their evaluation of it is going to affect the league, and that is the Washington Wizards and the Portland Trailblazers. Because how Damian Lillard interprets this Blazer season and how Bradley Beal interprets this Wizards season affects things a lot bigger than those two teams. And so if Lillard sees this year or sees the first half of this year, I think it's going to be the full year, and says, this isn't what I want for the last three years where I'm like a really, really good player. That, of course, affects the Blazers, but that means that he's in another uniform and could potentially be shifting title pictures and everything else. I'm less I'm less optimistic on Beal. I kind of have been for a long time. It was great this, that he was leading the league in scoring for a lot of last year and everything else, but I just never thought of him as that kind of earthquake-level player. I still don't. But if you, theoretically, if Bradley Beal says, I want to be somewhere else, and all of a sudden the door opens and he becomes a Philadelphia 76er, yeah. this is a very different conversation. And so that's why those two teams matter, is because there aren't that many... With player stability right now, there aren't that many really big landscape changes that I think are going to happen in the next term. It's more actually players coming back from injury, you know, when Kawhi gets back, Jamal, and some of these other circumstances. But Lillard and Beal, those are the two, arguably the Nets guys, but I think that's a different situation where it's like, okay, not where you are now, but where you could be, then we start to think about this. Yeah, I mean, I think Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal are two of the most interesting players in the league. I think right. um, I, I liked watching the Wizards early. It's a bummer kind of what happened to them. And, and I think a lot of things have hit them at the same time. Schedule, road trip, injuries, COVID have all hit them at kind of at the same time. And that's been a, that's been a real big bummer on them. Um, well, and I know you have the same same thought process because we've talked about this before. It's always hard to say at the beginning, like, it's not this this is unreasonably good like when they were 10 and 3 and some of that was facing some softer opponents you know they faced the, the i think they had the magic a couple times during that stretch and they i know they had the pels and just, but i don't want to spend all my time being like you're not this good fans this team yeah. is not this good but that is how i was feeling i didn't know that it was going to go this far but yeah. it's been interesting as somebody who was like beating the wizards over earlier in the year it's just like they're a capable team and i think that Wes Unseld has done a nice job with them but they weren't they weren't the ten and three squad that we saw early. It's true. Um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe they can bounce back. I will say, like, this is anecdotal. I don't feel like Beal responded to the early success with a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe it's because he's seen the movie before. But yeah. if there were two players, like, yes, there are more important questions I could ask. But I, I've thought about this a couple times over the last few months. Of if I could give an individual truth serum and just get an honest answer to one question. What are the two of the guys things that will be hot in my list is both Lillard and Beal and just asking them, what do you want for the next five years? Yeah. Because we have all these public pronouncements and I take those at face value, especially now that these two individuals have made a lot of choices to affirm those public stances. But what I'm having trouble figuring out with both of them is, and it's, this is probably more prevalent with Lord, but I think it's underappreciated with Beal too, is A, it's fine to change your mind. But B, was your commitment to them something that you thought you should do? Was it that you thought the team was better than they are? Or are you cool with this? And as long as they're true to themselves, there are no wrong answers. But I I just don't know. I don't know. Is Lillard, is that just what he thinks he should be? Because, you know, they've, the organization has been very good to him and they've they've had some highs. Or is it he thinks there's a, you know, that there was a Western Conference finalist in here, which I did not agree with. 
I think the two are in very different places. I think Beal has honestly, I think his has been more tactical. I think he wanted the extension. I think he didn't want to move during COVID. I think he wanted to give the franchise this opportunity this year, and he wanted to see where the league shook out. Like, I I see a lot more, like, savvy uh, planning on Beal's part. Sure. Versus, like, Dame has very transparently, and through every channel available to him, both public and off the record, made it clear of, like, his intentions of, I want to make this work. I really want to make this work. And honestly, like, a lot of it for him... You can read between the lines of (laughs) when he's asked in the Olympics press conference about the roster and he makes it clear it's not just the coach. The roster was a problem, too. When this is a guy that will never sell out his teammates, that's always been like a consummate leader. When he makes that statement and then you as a general manager double down and say, no, 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 it was just it was just the coach. The roster's fine. This is a great roster. Like not only are you in denial and being egotistical, you're also directly challenging your star player and mm-hmm. being like, no, you don't know. You don't know. It's fine. Just play. Um, and we saw how that's shaken out for a number of reasons that were some on court and some very much not. But ultimately, I think a lot of this is uh, like Dame's got probably in the spot of being like, OK, I tried it. You said that you wanted to, like to talk in the organization. You said it was a coach and not the roster. We've tried it. We're still here. Like we've got like, it's top, you you will you do what I've asked now and make some changes and I think those are probably coming. Um, if they don't make any changes, if they're not able to get value, then I think it's probably like then he's probably like, look, I've done everything I could. Like he's he's tried to indicate to ownership like what he wants. Like I think he's done that. I think I think Damian Lillard has communicated what he's looking for in terms of giving him the team that he believes he can win with, and whether they can get it done or not is on them. And if they don't, then the equation changes. Sure. Beal, I think honestly, like Beal, I wouldn't be surprised if if things change rapidly between now and the deadline. You know, like I agree. everyone's been waiting for Brad to be like, okay, I'm out. You know, and it, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think that's happened yet. But and there's still at a, a point where they're probably still good enough he can give this team a chance. But I just do think eventually they're going to get to that point and they're going to have to negotiate it. I will say, I think they're going to be set pretty well. They got movable assets all over the place. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the good things about how this team was constructed is they could they could make a run for being competitive if not good with Beal and if Beal asked out and they need to move him they can then like be like all right we can move all these guys and get like a huge number of assets because they're all win like they help you now and and they're also not signed for the long term I mean Bertans is the is the sticky one there but other than that you can I mean and his contract's not so so large that it's really messing with what the Wizards want to do right my next group, we could we'll start moving breezily through this. Um, I called it interesting young guys, and that's what pr- pr- propels them up because you know want to keep an eye on that. Pistons, Hornets, Thunder, Grizzlies, Magic, Rockets, Raptors, Kings. Huh. You know, lots of reasons to think about them, reasons to watch, but they're not either. So, like, in there are different cases of this. Like the Grizzlies, I know you had them much higher, um, but I, I think they're kind of in the same boat of like, okay, I'll, I'm keeping an eye on them, but I'm not obsessing. My group is uh, along the same lines, but I guess it's more of <laughs> it, it's. I'm pretty sure these teams are bad. I'm just not quite sure why. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's Hornets, Kings, Raptors, Wizards. Um, I don't think the Raptors are good. I don't. I think they've gotten some good wins. I know Ananobi's been out. I, I think the overall profile of that team is poor. And I I do genuinely wonder what Masai's going to do um, if he gets to the deadline and they're looking at like, hey, they might be able to get the ninth seed. I still wonder what he's what decision he's going to make. Same. Um, the Hornets, 
they're they're the league past darlings. Everyone loves watching Lamelo. I was really worried early on about like I have the under, and I still think I'm going to lose it. But I will say the defense is so bad because of the personnel that they lost. Like they can't do any of the stuff that they tried last year. And I think the most likely outcome of this is going to be Borrego gets to like I don't know January, maybe maybe before the All Star break, and just says, "All right, I got to scrap all of the creative defensive stuff, and we just got to simplify. Mm-hmm. Like we just got to run drop." We're just going to run drop with Mason Plumley and stay home and try and contain this because all of their efforts to do the stuff they did last year, they were such a diverse team last year. They had so many different things that they could do, um, and it just doesn't work this year. Their personnel is just not the same. They just can't do it. And so their defense is so bad. But then again, like, Lamella's been out so long. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I'm not convinced that the Hornets are actually as good as a record, but— Lamelo's good enough. Maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, I do keep wondering about in the off season. There was a much uh, whispered about discussion in trade circles of Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner, and that one continues to kind of like. I keep wondering if they'll go back to that option at some point. And I mean, yeah, it almost happened a year and a half ago, and it didn't. And but it's it's two different teams negotiating that at this point, and obviously the circumstances have changed dramatically too. Yep. Um, my tier five is basically just like, I have pretty good explanations for all this. Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, Boston Celtics, Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets are super injured. The Blazers are not a good team. The Rockets are a super young team. The Rockets are, I will say, are a little interesting. Like they're a little, they're a little interesting just because of like Shingoon and the changes in the approach. Like there's some drama there with like the young guys versus the old guys. There's some drama there with like Tice getting moved, uh, Jalen Green basically being bad, which that was a really surprising turn before he got injured. A lot of time for him to get better. Um, yeah, and the Celtics we kind of talked about. So like that's my uh, tier one, two, well, what one, two, seven, tier seven. Yeah, so mine is my kind of equivalent is I called it very good but little new. So mm-hmm. teams that we kind of know what they are, but they're more, but they're better than some of the others. So for me, this is the Sixers, the Hawks, and the Nuggets without their current guys. You know, like the Nuggets would obviously be dramatically higher. They, I, I think they'd probably be in my other title contenders group if they were if they were full, fully healthy, like with the Jazz and and all these other teams are. Where I mean, Jokic is having this unbelievable season, but and to say nothing about, I, I don't want to get into the whole MVP argument. There's no point. Um, but the Sixers and the Hawks, it's like okay. Okay, we know we know I think we know the story. And that doesn't make it a bad place to be. I mean, I'd rather be where they are than a lot of these teams because that stability is fine, but it is also just makes them a little less interesting. Um and then my last tier was the Pistons, the Suns. Like this is the I know exactly who you are. Um the Pistons, the Suns, the Pelicans, uh the Nets and the Bucks. I know who all those teams are. I feel like I have a good lock on all those teams. Um, Brooklyn is conceptually, I think, interesting. I think here's the thing. Brooklyn's a lot more fun to think of about the idea of them than the reality. Sure. I've been imp- I've been impressed with how they've handled this yeah. current situation. Like, I will the other reason one of the other reasons I mean I had the con, the concept reason why I had them higher is I enjoy it's strange how much I enjoy watching the Nets game to game I think a lot of that is just I Kevin Durant is one of my favorites like yeah. to to watch and just and this stretch has been a reminder of oh, oh yeah this guy's like just remarkably good yeah um you know look I, the the crux of playoff basketball you do things in the regular season because it's easier because you can get you can do it like you can just get through and do these things right it's creating open looks it's you know punishing different coverages etc um what's interesting about kd is that kd's doing the exact same stuff he's going to do in the playoffs it's not he's not playing as hard but it's just like 
The Nets don't create good looks. It doesn't matter. Like they're just gonna they're gonna kill you in the most demoralizing way possible. Where you're like, no, no, no. Like I forced him to take a step back, twenty one foot three or twenty one foot shot, right, right inside the line. Doesn't matter. Dunk back in the net. Like it's just absurd. The rules. The rules don't apply. The rules don't apply. Nothing applies. You can't. Like there's nothing you can do. He's good enough passer. He's gonna beat you with a double team. He's seven feet tall. There's nothing you can do. It's. I mean, there's just literally nothing you can do. That's the best argument for for KD over every other player as far as the best is. That there's literally nothing you can do. With Giannis, you can pack the paint, try and take a charge, send like eight defenders, and you might have some success. It's close, but it, but that's there. Um, there's nothing you can do with Durant. There's just, there's nothing. There's absolutely zero you can do against him. He is uh, the coldest player in the absolute NBA. He's incredible. Uh, my last group is Knicks. Clippers without Kawhi, uh, Spurs and Pelicans. The Spurs ended up here. I could easily put them a couple of tiers higher. You you brought up and and I do think about them a lot. Um, and these teams still, you know, there there are still reasons to be thinking about them, but they're just part of it. Is the you know some of them are team teams that are missing players that do it, and then with the Knicks, it's like I I, I think I understand them. Now I'm not I'm not as locked in, you know, like you could make an argument if it's like I know this team down cold. That group is probably more like the Suns and the Bucks and a couple other teams, but they're better. But so the Knicks but what makes the Knicks fun though is that they I'm I'm what I'm waiting to see is which players, because they have a couple, will break out of their current situation fully. And so like can quickly become a different guy than we expect, can Obi Top and some of these other players. But I, I, I think I mean, I think I know the story there, at least for now. I think it's fair. Um it's a little surprising just that i think the defense is a little surprising like, yes. i think i think them being you know 24th in defensive and adjusted defensive rating is a little surprising just given you know if you ask me like well are they going to be a top 10 defense next season i've probably been like no i don't think so like there's too many indicators that they were going to regress but you also when something regresses especially year over year you don't expect it to come in a tidal wave like right. you don't and, expect and, it to wash I mean, away your entire city and the easiest one for that is opponent three-point shooting and it's not like they're 30th they're 19th yeah yeah so it's been it's been bizarre this has been fun man yeah absolutely well thank you so much for taking the time thanks for having me thanks again to matt moore for taking the time to come on you can read his excellent work at the action network you can also check out podcasts he's on a lot of different things from some action network stuff and also some locked on content nba and nuggets and of course if somehow you don't already you can follow matt on twitter at hp basketball love having him on and love where these conversations take themselves and where they take my thought process and everything else and it's part of why i think matt and i both really enjoy this as a way of working through the league thinking about things and I appreciated doing one that wasn't as focused on the protocols and everything else right now. We could think about it a little bit more abstractly, which was way more fun. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. You can do that in whatever podcast player tickles your fancy, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. You could you could do that. Can also help other people find the show, leaving a rating, leaving a review in that podcast player, or just telling other people about it. Hey, this episode, hey, the show in general, something you might like makes a world of difference. And even though Real GM Radio has been around a long time, still helps other people find the show. There are always still people doing so. Can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are doing Duncan on prime and dunked on those are still going strong five times a week for prime subscribers one to two times a week for public podcasts and then we do the nba cast which is every monday as of right now we're doing
doing Warriors Kings this coming Monday. Who knows? That could change based on game availability and everything else. But as of right now, that is the plan. And then we do Twitter Spaces. That's typically on Tuesday. And I'm usually doing one. You can check out Daniel Rue. I'm usually doing a second one, just talking to people. I think that's going to be on Sunday this week, depending on my availability. You can check that out. Written work at The Athletic, and if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I'm not the greatest at responding, but I have a separate place in my inbox, so I make sure I read it. So that's why I say it's feedback more than necessarily a conversation. But that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. want to go yes go travel go explore go find a new city go reconnect with friends go have fun that's why we created ongo the trusted rapid covid19 self-test ongo gives you accurate covid test results and peace of mind in just minutes so anywhere you go you know you'll know if you're covid19 free and you'll know you're protecting loved ones ongo is readily available at letsongo.com amazon walgreens or walmart.com use promo code ongo15 for 15 off at letsongo.com today Global supply chain issues have made it more difficult than ever to source the parts you need to keep your heavy-duty truck running. That can lead to downtime and lost money. Fortunately, you have a trusted partner that can help keep your rig on the road and running. FindItParts.com is the nation's largest supplier of heavy-duty truck and trailer parts. In just a few clicks, you can access more than $3 billion worth of inventory, millions of part numbers, and all the top brands. Need a part fast? We offer overnight and expedited shipping. Save the time and frustration of calling around trying to find parts. FindItParts.com is your one-stop shopping source for all your heavy-duty truck needs, delivered straight to your doorstep. Use promo code PODCAST for 10% off your next purchase. That's finditparts.com, promo code PODCAST. Your trusted supplier for all heavy-duty truck and trailer parts.